Before we dive on into football, we want to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Southern Cigar Co. Southern Cigar Co. is a premium cigar subscription service founded with the goal of connecting cigar lovers around the world with nothing but the best smokes. Heading into a cigar shop and choosing from a vast selection can be a daunting task. Southern Cigar Co. has developed a service that takes away the worry and the hassle while providing you with premium cigars every single month. For under $40 per month and free shipping within the United States, Southern Cigar Co. will ship four of their finest cigars right to your door, with the first box of every subscription including a triple torch lighter, a double guillotine cutter, a Boveda humidity pack, and an informational card displaying everything you need to know about your newest cigars. There's no better pairing to Sunday football and your favorite bottle of beer or glass of scotch than one of Southern Cigar Co.'s top-of-the-line smokes. The world's best cigar subscription would make the perfect gift for the cigar lover in your life. Head to southerncigarco.com and enter promo code PUTB for 10% off your first order. Again, that's southerncigarco.com and enter promo code PUTB for 10% off your first order. And now, on to the football. Bonjour, hello, and happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to the Pickett Splits podcast, the show where a guy and his former high school history teacher talk a lot about football and very little about history. I'm Justin Heyer, here with Nick Bellotto. We're live on the Pick of the Blitz show on the Locker Room app. And today, this very fine Monday afternoon, we are recapping Championship Sunday. Of course, the NFL had its AFC and NFC Championship games this past Sunday, this past weekend. Two heck of a uh, awesome matchups. We had the Packers going up against the Buccaneers. And we had Mahomes and the Chiefs going up against the Buffalo Bills. And there is a whole lot to dissect from these two games, and we'll, of course, cover a couple other um, uh, hot NFL headlines, NFL topics as well. But we're starting with Championship Sunday, and as always, Nick, I'm deferring to you. What do you want to get into first from the NFL's Championship Weekend? Man, so it's it's getting harder and harder to answer that question for you, Justin, because I just want to jump right into the games, man. I think we saw uh, some pretty – like you said, it was a heck of a weekend. It was a heck of it. Two matchups played out um, beautifully, uh, even though, you know, we both picked the same teams going into it and one of those teams lost. Um, both games were incredible. Uh, and there's a lot of storylines coming out of this. Not even not even like the uh, the conversation about um, the Super Bowl. Right. But there's a bunch of different storylines that kind of uh, broke off like a tree from both of these matchups in the way that they played out. So. I say we start with the NFC because I think that's where the most interesting uh, storylines kind of develop from uh, with this uh, with all of this Aaron Rodgers talk that took place uh, after that after that you know disappointing loss. Yeah, that that loss was extra disappointing because of the way it played out over the uh, course of the final three and a half minutes. Right, Aaron Rodgers at the or in the red zone rather they had three chances to get the ball in the end zone, missed on all of them on that third shot on third down with like eight or nine yards to go. It really looked like Rodgers had a shot to run it in in the post-game press conference. He said he thought about it, but but ultimately, of course, didn't didn't make that final pledge. Instead, threw into double coverage at Devontae Adams. And then then came the head-scratching decision by Matt LaFleur. You have one of the best clutch quarterbacks of all time in Aaron Rodgers. You're 
six or seven yards or eight yards from tying up this ball game. And most importantly, in my opinion, on the other sideline is the only quarterback, or not the only, but the, the top quarterback, if you will, that you don't want to see on the other sideline when you're hoping to get the ball back for another shot. I mean, what was going through your mind there? I mean, you know, I, I, when they went out to f- kick that field goal, I definitely thought it was odd um, because I don't – right, when you've got – you know, I was listening to, um, to a podcast earlier today talking about the math – right behind the decision-making process there sure. um, and what kind of uh, percentages of victory, how that would increase had they gone for the touchdown. And, and like, listen, all those things I think are irrelevant because at the end of the day, the math numbers don't equate for Aaron Rodgers, right? And in that situation, your season on the line, you know, you've got to take the chance and go for it on fourth down. You just have to. Um, I think that was a poor, a poor call. Um, listen, do, could they have still like, lost that game after going for uh, going for the, the touchdown there and scoring the touchdown? Of course, right? Because then you still need a two-point conversion, right? Which is not necessarily an easy thing to get. And then you need to get either an onside kick or a stop, probably a stop, right? Because you're not going to give them field yeah. position like that. Um, so you're more than likely looking at getting a stop, which the, with the exception of those three picks in the second half, it didn't really look like the Packers' defense was doing a whole lot of stopping, um, especially on, on third down, which I, you know, I think is a big uh, – a big takeaway from this. Um, so I don't know if, if it would have totally changed the outcome, but I think, you know, you get, I'd rather trust Aaron Rodgers and see what he, I'd rather lose the game with Aaron Rodgers than try and keep the game close with, uh, with a field goal. You know what I mean? Hell yeah. And, and all you're doing there is it's not like you bought yourself, you know, another possession, right? It's not like you needed two scores. You, you needed that two point conversion, Right to, to tie the game, of course, if if you ended up getting that touchdown, but it was just it was an ultra conservative approach from an offensive head coach. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and also this is this is not week seven. This is not week exactly. eleven. Right, you're in the damn championship game. So you go to the Super Bowl, put the ball in your that. Hall of Fame quarterback's hands. To me, it it just made no sense, and it was the first of a, a litany of odd decisions that we saw throughout, throughout Championship Sunday, to be honest, and we'll get into that more when we talk. Bill's Chiefs. Uh, another storyline I saw coming from this game, and I think we all saw after Aaron Rodgers' press conference, was whether or not this would be Rodgers' last game in, uh, in a Packers uniform. I mean, obviously we have a very long offseason to go before that before that happens, but and you go back. This all started with, of course, the drafting of Jordan Love, moving up to get Jordan Love uh, instead of picking up a playmaker like a T. Higgins or a Michael Pittman or a Chase Claypool, these these seemingly budding star receivers that went in round two. You also packed, uh, passed up a guy like Patrick Queen, who it really looked like they kind of needed, you know, kind of needed a sideline-to-sideline side linebacker playmaker in this game in particular. And that, of course, comes all the way now down to Aaron Rodgers had an MVP season, Maybe that decision sparked something in him. Maybe it didn't because this was his best season in a couple of years. But that all in mind, that all said, I mean, is it Aaron Rodgers' last game in a Packers uniform if, if you're making a maybe a hot take, gutsy call now in, in late January? Uh, if I, No, I'm saying no. No. Um, because yeah. – and I see the, the reasoning why you might think that, right, with the whole Jordan Love situation and, and the way I – think, I think that yesterday was – you know, more about just uh, Aaron Rodgers 
coming out of a, a terrible defeat where he had finally gotten what he wanted for the last five years, right? Which was an NFC championship game in Lambeau and he lost. And I think that's, I think that that's something he, he was probably riding a huge high going into this game. And that was a pretty devastating way to lose, the, lose the game. So I don't necessarily know if it's, I don't think it's his last game in green Bay, but I definitely think that he's going to take some time to consider what's best for the team. And I think that, that uh, the organization should as well. Um, you know, because I, I think that what you saw yesterday too, was a couple of moments and maybe even throughout the postseason where it really kind of bit him, bit him in the ass, the whole Jordan love pick. And you just, you just alluded to it with the guys that they could have taken. And, you know, I, I'm thinking back to one play in particular where the, the Packers end up going for, going for two and it hits the, the ball hits the, uh, I don't remember what receiver it was. I don't think it was Lazard, but, um, uh, St. Brown, uh, St. Brown, Brown. Yeah, Brown. Brown. Yeah. Yeah, yes, that. Him. Um, I always never remember. That's a great name. Um, EQSB. Right and he dropped it. Yeah, and yeah. he dropped it. So, and, and I don't think, you know, uh, a, a, a Chase Claypool drops that pass, you know? And, right. and I think that's, you know, we, we're talking about the last play in that game, right? With, or they're going for the field goal over the touchdown. And rightfully so, that was the highlight play to discuss. But the Packers made a lot of mistakes yesterday and could not capitalize on, uh, on those three Tom Brady interceptions, right? They, they intercepted Brady on three consecutive drives and got nothing out of it, basically nothing out of it. Um, so it, it's more than just that game. And that's, that's one of those plays that really stuck out with me because that changes the dynamic of what you're doing, you know? Um, and it, and yeah, if, sure. if they catch that two-point, if they get that two-point conversion, right, then you, I think they definitely go for it on fourth down, right? And then they take the lead. Right. As opposed to potentially tying the game up. So there's there's a lot of different things that go into this loss um, and that I think this kind of I think that Aaron Rodgers needs a debrief of. He needs a few days sure. to kind of debrief that internally. I don't think he's necessarily retiring. I hope he doesn't retire. No. Um, I hope he doesn't leave Green Bay because I, I love I love the idea of Aaron Rodgers retiring a Packer and being, being there for the rest of his career. But um, I, I don't if I'm predicting it right now, I don't think he's going anywhere. It's definitely odd because usually when you see Aaron Rodgers on a, on a podium at a press conference, everything he says seems calculated. It seems like everything he says is on purpose, right? Aaron Rodgers doesn't generally have like emotional outbursts. He's a very he's a very like um, he, he sort of, he runs hot. Like Aaron Rodgers is a guy who's very competitive, very fiery. But when you see him at a podium, he's not the kind of guy who's like spouting emotional things. He's like you know he keeps a lot of that internalizer between him and and and, and the Packers. So it was definitely weird to see him so openly say that his future is uncertain. But if I were to guess, I'd also say right now I'm expecting Aaron Rodgers back in, in Green Bay. Although, although given the way there's going to be a lot of quarterback carouseling this offseason, where's Wentz going to go, Rivers retired, right, Will Breeze retired, where's Watson going, adding Rodgers to that mix would make for a wild, a wild uh, off-season quarterback carousel in the NFL. So I'm not saying I'm opposed to it just because the drama would be nuts, but it, you're right. be odd to see Rodgers not in a Packers uniform. We could save the where might Rodgers go speculation for another time, another episode, but uh, it would definitely be a fun conversation, fun drama to have. One of the other crazy dramas from this game came from the guys in stripes, right? The zebra, the zebra refs, the, in both championship games, the referees seem to be calling or rather not calling, a lot of close calls, a lot of uh, potential pass interferences, 
potential holdings. They were letting the guys play. And that's what you want on Championship Sunday. You don't want games decided by the referees. You want the games decided by the players. But then we get to the end of the game, right, when they're trying to stop Tom Brady, when they're trying to get the ball back. And all of a sudden you have... You have this pass interference call. Maybe it was a holding call when, when the guy's jersey was pulled. It was the kind of call where you're like, in most other games, in most other situations, you, yeah, you can't do that as a defensive back. Right? You can't hold the guy's jersey while he's trying to run away and, and run the route. But they were so willing to let guys play in this game. There was a clear, what seemed to me, a clear holding on Alan Lazard earlier in this game. Right. There was also a potential holding call um, on the Tampa Bay offensive line on that same play that wasn't called when uh, when the Packers were trying to get Tom Brady in the def- in the in the backfield and then you call this play I mean it, it looked like it was a fair call again in a in 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 and of itself but in the context of the game did, did that not frustrate you No it frust officiating always bothers me when it's inconsistent right yeah. so I don't obviously I 100% agree with you when you say you want the refs to kind of just be there and obviously call the egregious things and let them play. But if you're going to call that, you need to call that same pass interference call or that same uh, – you need to call something on the Alan Lazard play that you just referenced on third down where that would have gotten them a first down and kept a Packers drive alive, right? You can't be inconsistent like that. So that's that's what bothers me most about officiating, and that's not just for this game. That's all – throughout the NFL. And I know that's something that's not going to be fixed. So I know I'm just ranting for no reason when I say it, but it bothers me when there's an inconsistency. If you're going to call that on the Packers, you need to also call a little bit more of an egregious play on, on the Buccaneers on that third down play that you just referenced with when Alan Lazar got hit early, you know, consistency is key. And that's, if you, that's what bothers me the most, like either don't call either or call both. Yeah, I mean, the, the lack of consistency was certainly the, the biggest issue stemming from the, the refereeing in this game. It's also just, it was another example, again, of when we have a refereeing error, or, or at least refereeing inconsistency, in the biggest, brightest moments, right? You go back to the Saints-Rams championship game. You go back to as recently as the Cleveland ball through the back of the end zone, but there was a roughing the, you know, an honestly roughness penalty that was missed on that same play. There have just been so many of these high-profile high profile moments, and it's very frustrating. And, and, you know, we saw them throughout. Going to, to the other side of the ball, from, from Packers to refs, now to Tampa Bay, I just want to ask you a bit of more of like a blanket question, less preamble. What does this NFC Championship win now going to this Super Bowl mean for Tom Brady's legacy, right? You go through the stats. Tom Brady has um, more, you know, Super Bowl appearances, of course, than I think now double any other quarterback. He's going for his 10th Lombardi, uh, for his, you know, 10th he, Lombardi appearance, 7th ring. What does this mean for Brady? In the he season? has more He has more appearances than than most of the NFL franchises do. Right? The only one Unreal. The only one that has Unreal. more than him is New England because they because of him. to 9. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, like he, so New England's been to 11, I think it was, and Brady's been to 10, right? So, yeah. um, I mean, for his legacy, I think it already cements the, the fact that he's the – He's the greatest, right? He's the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. And you can you can sit here and dissect numbers with me and all those fun things. But you know what? People don't remember how many passing titles you had. People don't remember how many times you threw for over 45 touchdowns, right? They remember Super Bowl victories. And even if Brady loses this one, right, 
he still has six Super Bowl victories, and he's been to 10 championship games. No one's even come close to that. I also heard another statistic that he's the—he's one of two players to play in a Super Bowl in three different decades. He's—he's—he's he's, he's 18. He's a full adult older than Patrick Mahomes. He's playing. He's still playing in Super Bowls. Like this is insanity. And listen, I—I hate—I hate Brady from all of his times <laughs> demolishing the Dolphins, right? But I respect the hell out of him and what he's been able to do. And we need to enjoy this, right? Because this is yeah. truly his and while proper direction, right? To to maybe uh, become the goat. Right now, you're witnessing it develop in real time. And even if you hate Brady and everything that he has done, everything the Patriots done, you have to appreciate that this is historic. What's happening? And you're not going to get this. You might not get it with Mahomes. So enjoy it now. I'm going to dive into the wormhole here. I'm just going in head first. Even though I, this discussion annoys me, I'm going to bring it up to you. What does it mean where Brady is now for the Brady-Belichick discussion? Nothing. Nothing. For me, it means nothing. Because, because I, like I said, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked with Pat, uh, the, the, the resident Patriot uh, fan discusser on Locker Room. Um, he, uh, and he, him and I were kind of talking about this and I don't think that it was one or the other. I think what you saw in new England was two all time greats coming together at the same time to create something that we have never, and will never see again, because I still think that Bill Belichick will go down as the, as one of, if not the greatest coach in, uh, in NFL history. Um, this year you need to, you need, everyone needs to take the context of this year with new England and they lost yes. everybody when it comes to COVID opt-outs, right? All of their star defensive players were not on the field, right? So next year is going to be a better tell of, of what Belichick can do without Tom Brady. And we all know Cam Newton is a, is a shell of himself, right? Or what he used to be. So for me, this does nothing. It just further cements that he is the greatest quarterback of all time. More than anything, it does nothing to tarnish, at least for me, Bill Belichick and what he's capable of doing. Be- I, 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 sorry. You- no, 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 no. Go ahead. No, I totally. I'm, I'm on the same wavelength as you. I've just, I know, I've already seen it on ESPN, and we're seeing it everywhere. What that means for that conversation. Actually, I want to grab uh, Ethan to come up on stage, just requesting to come up because I want to get some more, some more insight into, into some of these points. Ethan, what's going on? Hey, Ethan. Uh. I think I have a sort of tangential – I want to hear your thoughts on, on Belichick sure. versus Brady. But I think I have a question about this game in particular that's kind of tangential to that one. And that is given – so Brady leaves the, the friendly confines of Foxborough where we all know like there's – you know the, it will never be replicated in pro sports. The greatest coach of all time meets the greatest QB of all time and they – you know, Brady marries – a a global supermodel who makes <laughs> tens of millions of dollars. He's able to kind of take take one for the team and and not get paid as much as he deserved, which helped. You know, all of these things come together, and and the Patriots are the Patriots, and there will probably never be another one. Um, given that, so he leaves. He's down in he's down in Florida. Uh, he's a million years old. He's in a completely new offensive system. Um, he's tr- he's p- trying to prove that he can do it with without Belichick at an advanced stage, and he goes into Green Bay and pulls this off. On the other side of the field, 
you've got Aaron Rodgers. He's got a Super Bowl, but he's also lost a few conference championship games already. He's at home. He's the one seed. They've been absolutely steamrolling. Um, a lot of teams, their offense has looked great. They made the Rams look bad. The Rams are maybe the best defense in the league. All this. Who? Which quarterback had more on the line from a legacy standpoint in this game? So I guess, you know, does does beating Brady and getting back to the Super Bowl do more for Rodgers' legacy than Brady beating him and getting to a Super Bowl without Belichick does for Tom? I think that's a I think that's a great question. I, I think I think it this was a bigger game for Rodgers than it was for Brady because I think regardless of what happened, we were talking about Brady as the goat two three years ago, right? So this is just further cementing that status that he had already achieved. Uh, in terms of more on the line, a hundred percent Rodgers needed it more uh, for his legacy now. And and you bring up a good point: getting to four consecutive NFC championships and losing them all is not a good look. Um, I think the one thing that Rodgers has going for him over a guy like a, a Philip Rivers that we were, Justin and I were talking about uh, earlier, early last week, um, is that one Super Bowl win. Uh, but to, to really be competitive in the GOAT conversation against Brady, he would have, it would have been nice to see him at least go to a second Super Bowl. Um, so from a legacy perspective, for me, it's, it was Aaron Rodgers that, that struggled to cement his yesterday. And that sucks because I love Aaron Rodgers. I, and I'd love to love to argue or, or, or even disagree just for the sake of having parody at a different point, but I, I have to agree. And I would add on to that the fact that in a lot of ways, this feels like – this just feels – if I'm going to – I'm a huge Marvel Cinematic Universe fan. I'm going to make that comparison. For Brady, this feels like the Spider-Man <laughs> Far From Home of, of, of the end of the Infinity Saga, right? It's It's – Brady's yeah. epilogue. This is just icing on the cake. We've seen we've seen his entire career play out to perfection. He's, as Nick said, the greatest quarterback of all time. Aaron Rodgers, with another Super Bowl win or two, could I think put himself right next to the likes of Peyton Manning or even Joe Montana in the next right right after Brady. But you can't. You can't with four conference championship losses. And just one ring, it's it's not enough. And Rodgers might be the most talented quarterback we've ever seen, the best athlete at quarterback that we've ever seen, all things considered, all things put together, although Mahomes is already making a strong push against that. Mm-hmm. And there there will never be any more to that for uh for Rodgers unless he adds another ring. And at the hot streak he was on this season, the way that offense was going, I'm worried this might have been his best last shot. He, he'll get another shot, but I don't know that he'll be on the same kind of role, the same kind of run or hot streak ever again. Yeah, and I think that that, that is where I, I said to some people uh, as I was watching the game, you know, four minutes left, Pack gets get the ball back, down eight. And I said, this is a legacy drive for Rodgers. And, and yeah. you, could, you could feel it, like the weight of that drive. And I, I didn't really ever feel, you know, for Tom Brady threw some really bad passes in the second half. He probably should have been intercepted five times in the game. And and he threw a couple of really bad picks in the second half. But at no point did, you know, I, I think that in and of itself is, is all the evidence you need. At no point did it feel like 
oh no, if Tom Brady throws three or four picks in the second half and they choke this game away, what does that mean for his legacy? Like, no, that was, you know, that's at that point you just say, well, Tom Brady was 43 and he still made the NFC championship game and he just didn't quite have it. But for Rodgers, you could feel the legacy kind of on the line, which makes which makes coming off the field to kick the field goal that much more brutal. We know he said after the game that he wasn't involved in that decision. It wasn't his choice. And I think you read between the lines there and you know that he's not happy. But, um, yeah, that, that just makes that decision to kick the field goal all the more, all the more brutal. Now, uh, Justin, I want to hear your thoughts on, on Brady Belichick after I step down here. I will say yeah. I don't think you, we can even start having that debate until next season when this was a reset year for the Pats, everything that, that Nick just said about the COVID opt-outs, the Pats are about to have, I think, either the most or top three most money available under the salary cap this coming year. And who knows, you know, are they going to be the team that trades for Matt Stafford, right? Like once, once we see what, what they do with all of that cap, mo- cap money, guys come back, Belichick can really reload then I think we can actually start to have the debate. Agreed. Yeah. I, I, thanks for coming up, Ethan. I, I think those were great points. Nick used the word context earlier. It's all about the context. Uh, what Phil Belichick did with this roster, I think, was impressive and indicative of, of how good a coach he was. They had some convincing wins this year with a horrendous roster, one that was uh, you know, obliterated by COVID opt-outs that didn't have the 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 money or, or picks to totally reload after Brady had left. So it certainly needs more time. I think no matter what happens, if Belichick retired tomorrow and Brady retired the, the day after the Super Bowl, I still think we would all uh, have to admit that it was just, as Nick said, a super rare combination that we'll never see again and, and, and that they both deserve practically equal credit for, right? We'll never, you'll never really know what would have happened if you plucked one out halfway through and where the rest would have gone because it didn't happen. Um, so I, I think I'm mostly on the same wavelength there. The, the fun last uh, debate I want to take out of, out of this Bucks-Packers game before we move on to, to Bill's Chiefs, and I started to hear this, and this conversation I'm sure will be had after Brady retires, and we'll have it more in depth then, but just for fun, real quick now, Nick. The idea of Brady as potentially the greatest American athlete of all time, right? Your, your mind immediately, when you hear those words, I think for a lot of people goes to Michael Jordan, right? And if you want to talk uh, non-team sports, you know, the Olympics and talk Michael Phelps or, or, or Muhammad Ali in, in, in boxing. But the Jordan-Brady debate, I think, is the most fun one to have because they're a little more comparable, right, when you're in, in these two team sports and their accolades are eerily similar, right? Both of them have six titles. Jordan has 14 NBA All-Star appearances. Brady, 14 Pro Bowls. Is there? Can, can you draw a comparison there? Do you, can you formulate some sort of potential opinion on... Because, in my opinion, going through awards and stats means nothing because the sports are different. But is there a line you could draw there and, and potentially lift one over the other? So I, I've been hearing this conversation had a lot. Uh, because it's yeah, and I think it's a fair conversation to have. Um, so I find it hard to put Brady in the in the conversation of the greatest athlete, right? Because when I when I consider like the athletic side of things, I don't think that he's the <laughs> most athletic quarterback that we've ever seen, no. right? He's Gra- a let's say greatest, incredible arm, the greatest. 
the greatest athlete. That's always the word I like to use instead of best or most athletic because then you really talk about what they accomplish, maybe not their speed or, or agility. Right. So I think I think if you if you are if we're talking about the athletic side of be, being the greatest athlete, no, I don't think so because I don't think he's the greatest <laughs> athlete to ever play the position because I think you Rogers is right. But if we're if we're looking at it at a, from a comparison of um, most successful uh, s- sports player of all time, right? I think he's I think he is that person um, because you, you're seeing something that you're never going to see before in a game where it's so dependent on so many things going right, you know, um, you, you can kind of in basketball, and I don't mean to like take away from basketball players, but there's less guys involved, right? So if you have that one dominant player who is transcendent, um, you could theoretically get to the finals all the time, right? But in football, it's a little bit more complicated. You need 11 guys who are on the same page all the time and then one huge leader. So in terms of accomplishment, I think he's, up there, uh, p- potentially even surpassing Jordan. But by, J- Michael Jordan is by far the superior athlete. For sure, 100%. You put, you put uh, Brady one-on-one with – prime Brady one-on-one with prime Jordan in most any athletic competition. I am assuming uh, Jordan will, will win every time. To me, the, the reason – and I feel like there's implicit bias here because I'm a huge NFL fan. I'm more of a casual NBA fan. I'm 21 years old, so I was four when Michael Jordan retired. So I, I, there's implicit bias here. But to me, the, the biggest piece of this is that the NFL is built from its core foundation to make sure that what Brady accomplished can never happen. It is built to be a league based on parity, where no one team could dominate for an excessive period of time. Every single piece of the way the NFL is run is built to ensure that that happens. And Brady said, meh. It doesn't matter. I'm going to win for 20 plus years in a row anyway. I'm going to make it to every other Super Bowl. I'm going to make it. To, I'm going to win six with one team and then be on the verge of winning with another. I'm going to be the reason that I build the greatest dynasty ever. Of course, along with Belichick. But to me, that's that's the difference. And you know, you can take that as you will. There are a million other points you can make in this discussion. But I thought it'd just be a fun little throw-in question to to add in there. Sorry, Nick. I don't know if I if I lost you there. Uh, no, I I I don't I don't think I might have lost you. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll I'll move us swiftly to the to the next topic. Yeah. I want to get into Bills Chiefs. What were your your primary takeaways from from Buffalo Kansas City? Um, you know, my big my big takeaway is that um the the Bills just aren't there yet, right? The dominance that they showed over the course of the the regular season um is great against um you know, inferior competition, uh, but unfortunately is not good enough to run with the big dogs in Kansas City. And and Kansas City, you know, we talked about them uh, going into this being a little bit, um, you know, kind of, I don't want to call it struggling, but not looking as dominant uh, as we would expect them to be in kind of the last five or six games of the regular season and even uh, into the playoffs. But what you saw last night was um, – Full, full uh, Kansas City awesomeness on display. Um, so they're definitely like they, they hit their stride perfectly in that game yesterday. They came out a little flat, but they hit their stride. And Buffalo, just as good as Josh Allen was this year, as good as Stefan Diggs was this year, um, just weren't good enough to to slow down that 
that offense that just is it, once again just looked so much better than anybody else uh, in the league and and not even close um you know that was a pretty convincing dominant win by Kansas City and I I I feel part of me feels bad for Buffalo um that they're going to have to consistently compete with this kind of juggernaut for the next you know 10 years if they want to make a make a Super Bowl run but they've got a lot of work to do um in order to to catch that that monolithic beast that is the Kansas City Chiefs monolithic I like they, it. they're insane and you <laughs> you you know it we keep searching for new adjectives to describe what Kansas City is because there's just there's no way to describe it. And and you sum that up well. What's nice for Buffalo fans, for Bills Mafia, some of the most loyal in the NFL, is that they know this team will be back, right? The Bills are built well with regards to the roster construction. They have a great coaching staff. Brian Dable's coming back. Josh Allen's only getting better. Had a, a near MVP caliber season and, and will likely continue to ascend from here. But you're right. They were just outclassed. They were... It's, it's unfortunate because they were the hottest team, no questions asked, in my opinion, going into the postseason, right? They came off, they annihilated Denver, they absolutely obliterated uh, New England, and then, then they trounced Miami in, in week 17. But those three weeks in a row, this team looked like the hottest team in the NFL. They scored 48, 38, and then 56 points over their final three weeks of the regular season. Um, and then they go into the, the playoffs, and they didn't really play a complete game in any of the three games in the playoffs, but it was enough because the team was good enough to beat Indy, to beat Baltimore, but just not enough to beat, to beat a team like Kansas city that, as we mentioned multiple times on this show over the past couple of weeks, they flip a switch literally whenever they want, like actually whenever they want, whenever they need it. And they score as many points as they need to, to win the game. People were like, Oh, you know, Kansas city, they, they really only won a handful of games this season in convincing fashion. Is it the same? Yeah, it's still, it's still the same Patrick Mahomes, same Kansas City. Doesn't matter if he's coming off a concussion. Doesn't matter if he's fighting turf, though. He's still going to absolutely put up, you know, a whole litany of points on you every single time. And, and the Bills just couldn't match. To me, you saw that this team is like just a couple pieces away, right? They don't have quite enough of a running game going the defense is really good in some facets like the secondary but still needs some help in in others so this team will be back but kansas city's just they're 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 just better right i mean they're they're just better oh across the board across the board they're just they're better than everybody they're better than everybody um my my biggest question mark um you talk about how buffalo going forward can you know and the fans can kind of Relish in the fact that this is a well-built roster with some good pieces, and Josh Allen uh, has really developed very well over the last 12 months. But my biggest question is, can they do it again? Right? Do you think it's possible to see this level of output from both Allen and Diggs um, two years in a row? Right? And listen, I, I think I think that the signs are pointing to a yes to that question as the answer. But I don't think it's a guarantee by any stretch of the imagination because the teams around them are going to get better, right? Um, the, the Jets are going to be better. The Patriots are going to be better. The Dolphins are going to be better. So if you just look at their division, um, Buffalo is going to have a little bit of a more complicated road to get back to a division title and then back to the playoffs next year. Um, and if there's any site, you know, sort of hiccup um, in terms of the development of this team that, you know, it, it – I'm not saying the Bills aren't going to make the playoffs, but I think, you know, one of the questions going into the offseason and into next season is can can Diggs and Allen do it a second time? Because what you saw was incredible by both of them. 
And it's usually very hard to reach those same levels of success in back-to-back years, unless you're Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes. Sure. Uh, that's a fair point. The nice thing for Buffalo, though, is they have a bit of a margin of error, a margin of error when it comes to wins and losses. They were 13-3, and three, right? You go 12-4, and four, you go 11-5. and five, You're still... You're still making making the playoffs, barring something wildly crazy. So I also don't know if they're going to need it, right? I think there will be an emphasis on improving the running game, which was really the only major hole for this team throughout the season. They had a very pedestrian running game with the combo of Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Both mm-hmm. fine players, but neither showed enough to say, okay, I could be your bell cow and I could, I could win games for you when, when Josh Allen is struggling. So you get a bit of a better running game. I think the passing game could even further develop. You have young guys in that passing game, like Dawson Knox, the tight end, Gabe Davis, the wide receiver, that could slot in and, and take in a, a bigger role. I don't think Diggs needs to lead the league in receiving again for, for them to be back where they are, although it certainly helped a whole heck of a lot uh, for them to get here. But the goal, in my opinion, for, for the front office of, of Buffalo should be to build out a more... Uh, complementary offense that could uh, it could sort of seesaw when it needs to doesn't necessarily lean and rely all the way on one singular thing. Sure, I, I think I think that's very fair. Um, and, and you're right, Diggs does not have to lead the league. Allen doesn't have to light it up. They can win in other ways, but um, you know, it's always just it's always a question for any young quarterback like this: Can you do it again? Right. Yeah. And one of the and listen, we saw one of the greatest examples of not being able to duplicate uh, one year of, uh, you know, extravagant success is with Carson Wentz. Right. Where you see him in that MVP conversation doing things that you are incredibly impressed by. And now look at him. Right. So is Allen going to be that guy? I don't think so. Uh, but do it again. Let's do it again. Let's see if we can build some consistently consistency and you can always make it to the AFC Championship game instead of just having a one-and-done season. 100%. And the last point I'll make on that uh, individual topic is one of the, I think, most interesting undertones of next year will be, you know, Josh Allen went from throwing 10 touchdowns to 20 touchdowns to 40 touchdowns in his first three seasons, made this 10% leap in completion percentage. Can he replicate? Can he at least uh, show that that could be something he could do with consistency? Because I'm sure all our eyes will be on where does Deshaun Watson go? Where does Sam Darnold go? How do they play on their potential new teams? The Tua Herbert Burrow uh, race, where do those three quarterbacks end up? What about the rookies like Fields and Lawrence? Our eyes will be elsewhere, but Allen and his development will certainly be a fun sort of subplot storyline in, in the QB, QB development department. Uh, just turning to the game specifically itself, obviously ended up 38-24, this two-score game, but it was close enough at times where it felt like Buffalo was always within shooting distance for most of the game. And you saw Sean McDermott sort of head-scratchingly go for field goals on the two-yard line, and then I think it was like the eight-yard line. Obviously, one being fourth and goal, and one being, I think it was a fourth and three when they were on the eight-yard line. I, had, I mean, hindsight 2020, of course. But were those moments mid-game while you were watching, you were like, what the heck are you doing? It's Kansas City on the other sideline. Like, what are you doing? Or was it more, you know, conservative play calling? We're still mid-game. We still have a chance. Let's get the points. No, I, I think you still take the points. Um, I, I think, do? I think okay. the, Yeah, because it, let's say you don't make those uh, plays, right? Let's say you don't uh, get those, those fourth-down conversions. Now you've given Kansas City and their offense uh, a bigger uh, – like, and they go down and score, you, you, the lead is growing a little bit, right? So 
if if you're able to keep the game somewhat close by kicking field goals, I think that's the route you go. You take as many points as you can get against Kansas City because you know they're going to score. That the, That's a fair point, and I'm sure that's what Sean McDermott was thinking. To me, though, I, I had those in the same – in the same category, Saul says Alan Fertua, who says no. Let's not even. Let's not even. Let's not even go there, Saul. <laughs> um, I, to me, I put those field goals in the same category of the Matt and Floor situation at the end of the game. You are in the AFC Championship game. This is the time where you need to trust your quarterback who's been playing at an MVP level, and you're going up against a team that will make you pay when you pick field goals over touchdowns. No questions asked. They will make you pay. And the other thing about it for me was this is not a six-point lead, right, where you're cutting it, so now you only need a field goal to tie. This, this I think, both times was a 12-point lead. You're still a two-possession game away if you kick the field goal. So at least attempt to put it within one possession. And if you miss, now you pin Kansas City on their own two-yard line, you know, at least. So it's, it's not three points, but you have a chance for seven and worst case scenario, you, you try to get really good field position on the next drive. To me, it was a defensive-minded coach having too much faith in a defense that was not producing. Um, I mean, I, I think you bring up a couple of interesting points. Um, but, you know, as, as close but as you're still wrong. Was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're still wrong. I mean, listen, you know, and 12 points is not – when you're playing the Chiefs, 12 points is a decent margin to be uh, within, right, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you're talking about how the Chiefs are a team that can make you pay um, if you take field goals instead of touchdowns. They can also make you pay if you don't get any points at all, right? So it, it's, it's, it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situations where if you don't get the points, you go for it and you lose and you don't, and you don't succeed in, in converting, right, or you don't get the, the, the touchdown, then you're in a worse situation, right? Um, I, I still I, – I hear you. I still think the smart move is to get as many points as you can and then trust your – on the next drive, trust your defense to do something. It's just your defense clearly couldn't do anything against <laughs> against Travis That's Kelsey, fair. who I don't think is human, and Tyreek Hill, who I also don't think is human in terms of what they're able to do. Isn't it unbelievable the, the, the consistency – with which Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill for that matter, but specifically Kelsey, in my opinion, just watching this game, he had like eight or nine catches in the first half. The dude is always open. And it I, always I don't seems like it. there's no defender within five yards. I don't get it. It's both of them. They, they, like, there's just, they're always open. Like, how is, like, you've probably got double, you have to have double coverage on one of them, right, at all times. Yeah, Maybe both sure. of them, right? I would much rather have McCall Hardman beat me than Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. So I would go one-on-one with him. I might even let him run freely wide open so that Kelsey and Hill don't kill me, right? I just don't get it because you know that, that the Buffalo defensive coordinators and, and staff were like, we need to shut these guys down, but you just can't. It's, it's just wild how good they are. It really is unreal. And, you know, the, the funny thing about it is we say, let's, you know, let's just double both, but then you're gonna. I mean, Hardman scored a touchdown in this game. Daryl Williams scored a touchdown in this. It's almost like it doesn't matter, right? They're, they're gonna score on you one way or another. Which again brings me back to the point as to why uh, I go for fourth down instead of kicking those field goals. But uh, yeah, I will say it was all in all still a valiant effort by Buffalo. I don't know if you read the report today, but Cole Beasley played through a half broken fibula mm-hmm. in in Same. this game, right? You had Gabe Davis gutting out an ankle injury. Yeah, just all in all, it was it was it was an impressive season and performance from Buffalo in general. And I'm sure they will be here to stay for the most part and be one of those AFC contenders for for a while to come. Anything else you want to talk about from this game before we run into just one or two 
general NFL related things. So how did you feel about the way that that entire brawl played out uh, at the end of the game? Oh, yes. I can't remember went past that. Yeah. How did you feel about that? Well, when it ended, I was like, well, that all meant nothing. (laughs) Right. We had. Okay. (laughs) Great. Because that's how I felt, too. And that really bothered me, you know, because there's. If, if if this is a league that is consistently preaching player safety, right? Somebody should have been ejected from that situation, right? Right. Like how can how can that happen? And you all you get is nothing. You, you literally get nothing. Those penalties don't do anything. And I don't know. I, I feel like the offsetting penalty things is is kind of was at least in that moment frustrating. I don't know if you have to totally yeah. uh, rewrite the handbook in terms of what offsetting means, but if one team commits three penalties and the other team commits one penalty. How are they all offset? You know, I don't, I just, there was no logic behind it. And the fact that everybody was able to walk away and uh, continue playing football after that play was just so bothersome because it's just, what's the point of the flag then? Why did you waste 10 minutes of all of our time? Right. There's no, there was no consequence to any of the action there that could have gotten somebody hurt. So don't preach player safety to me. And then let that just kind of happen with when and no consequences be born out of it. That was a very so, short rant that I've been thinking no, about all day. I, I agree with almost everything you just said. So I, I'm going to play devil's advocate here just for a moment for the sake of looking at the other side. With regards to the, the multiple penalties, I think it was just a plain and simple matter of you can't accept more than one penalty on any given play. And like you have to pick one. And so you boil it down to, you know, the one penalty and there happened to be one on each side. So those offset. Could you change and, and that I, for potentially penalties that happen after the play? Sure. Um, but I think that's where that came from. No, and I, and I get that and I understand that. But I think if, there, yeah. if we're talking about personal foul, unnecessary roughness calls that are eventually ejectable offenses, right? And in other games may have been ejectable offenses – Right. How can they just kind of be ignored, thrown up in the air? Right. The 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 the, you know, the the rough in the passer call and the unsportsmanlike conduct that took place between Okafer and Allen. Like, that's one thing. But when two giant humans come over and start beating the hell out of you. Right. That that deserves, I think, regardless of the situation, deserves a few more uh, consequences. Right. If you're a league that preaches player safety. So, again, I agree. But to play devil's advocate, here's where I'll go on that. Stop playing. I, can you just I'm, agree with me and stop playing as devil's advocate? I don't, yeah, we've been agreeing a lot lately on recent episodes, so it's funny. Yeah, because you know what? You finally realized I'm right. That you're right. So I th- I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing from Gene Steratore, who's the former head ref, now turned CBS, gets paid a ridiculous amount of money to speak two times during the game. Uh, analysts the on, want, by the way. on their panel, right? So Gene Sturcher said something like this, and it made a bit of sense to me, at least to reconcile why it played out the way it did. You have you have these guys who are going up against each other, you know, in large part because of you know wanting to protect your teammates, right? The way they did it still, un, you know, unacceptable, but that's where it came from. And so you have lineman trying to protect his quarterback after a little bit of a scuffle between defensive player and quarterback. And you're a few minutes left from ending the game. A huge, massive, high-profile, every moment, every play, every call counts kind of game in the AFC Championship game. You're a few minutes away from this game ending. If you, at this point, as refs, you know, call to New York and you have a bunch of guys who could potentially be ejected, some because of what other guys did, some because they were incited, some because they just overreacted, 
and you start making calls on which guys go and which guys stay, with only a few minutes remaining in the game, you have the potential to inflate things further to the point where now, after almost every single play, you're going to have scuffles and brawls like this when you really just want to get through the end of a game that, at that point, had already seemed close to determined. So, again... So, but, I, Justin, there were, there were already... Yeah. like So, again, I know you are just kind of parroting... Not parroting, yeah. I apologize for using that phrase. But you're saying what was already said by these sure. other officials, no, no, no. right? Yeah, there right. were still scuffles, and there were still people getting in each other's faces. Yeah. So, obviously, that like that just shows me that there's no, there's a lack of understanding about how football works and, <laughs> and, and, and because it's not like that, that anger is going away. The next play they're in each other's faces again. Like how can you, how can you use that as your logic behind it? Right. Because you're, this is a violent sport where people get angry and when they get heated, they don't let it go away and just let it uh, disappear. Right. It's not how it works. That's basically never how it works. So that logic just makes no sense to me. So but in, in I guess that's your, so why in, I don't get paid the <laughs> That's why you're not Gene's territory. In that case, who were you ejecting? Because you have you have Okafor with the I think that was the um, the roughing the passer. Then Allen the throws Buffalo the football in his face. Who started the fight? That's, okay, that's so not the roughing the passer. Not Allen no. throws the football in the face. Not Okafor roughing, who stands over Allen. Not j- just the Bills who came over after. The bill, yes, because the refs were getting there to, to to deal with the situation. The two the two giant humans that <laughs> the freight that train that came there. rushing yes. through. <laughs> Those two guys, I think, should have been ejected because that's where the situation escalated to beyond just a per- couple of personal foul calls. Interesting. Okay, and no, that I, might I, be an unpopular opinion, and I understand if it is, but it is my. Thankfully, it, it didn't escalate much further after that. We ended up having a, a mostly clean game thereafter, but. Um, I, I'd say, you know what? I will I will go as far as to say if that game was uh, week eleven, he would have been ejected. And if it was in the middle sure. of the game, he but been that's ejected. that's what I'm saying is like that's part of the problem. Where is the consistency, right? Right. No, it's definitely that. That's fair to say. That's part of the problem. So uh, looking ahead now, we're going into a Super Bowl, obviously where we have a lot of high profile names. I want to play a little little quick game with you here. We have three players in this game who. Back in week one, if you said that this guy's going to a Super Bowl, my answer would have been, you're nuts. Okay, those three players in, in my mind here are Leonard Fournette, who was cut by the Jacksonville Jaguars, went from worst team in the league to potentially now best team in the league in the span of a week, and is now going to the Super Bowl. So Leonard Fournette, Antonio Brown, who was out of football and potentially never coming back, and Le'Veon Bell, who was an Adam Gase purgatory, Right and uh, is now going to be also playing in the Super Bowl game. If in week one I told you that those players were going to a Super Bowl, a what have your you know obviously what would your reaction have been? But most importantly, what I want to know from you is which guy was the least likely to be in this scenario of Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, and Leonard Fournette back in week one? Because I think you can make a strong argument for all three. Oh yeah. Um... So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Le'Veon because because being a member of the Jets is just there's no way they're even sniffing a Super Bowl. You have a better chance of being a free agent and making the Super Bowl than you do as a member of the Jets, as evidenced by maybe Antonio Brown. <laughs> exactly. So I would say that the most the one that makes the least sense based on their where they were week one is is Le'Veon Bell. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's a fine way because I think we also at that point were, along with Leighton Bell maybe even at the time, saying 
I mean, he's going to have to ride this out, the contract, whatever, with, with for another year with uh, with Adam Gase and that team. That was I just I, I was looking back on uh, on 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 some of the rosters and, and thinking back to these guys. Just like that's just nuts. The fact that all three of these guys went from completely falling out of grace, right, completely in uh, back in the in the depths of NFL rosters where no one was really paying much attention to them anymore, uh, outside of fantasy football players, and they're all going to the Super Bowl now. Two of which are playing really uh, important key roles on on their team, and Le'Veon uh, obviously sort of being more of a complimentary guy. But playoff Lenny is real, right? And even though Antonio Brown missed this game, he's been making contributions to the Bucks all year long. So it's 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 just kind of wild that uh, that those three guys ended up there. But um, okay, so we went. I wish I think we had a, a really nice discussion there on on those two games. We'll be having, of course, a full Super Bowl preview before we get to Super Bowl Sunday now in uh, in just under two weeks but is there anything else you wanted to jump into before we uh, before we sign off here no i've gotten my uh my fair share of ranting done today I'm <laughs> i feel better about it yeah i feel better about yesterday all right so like i said we will be back uh in uh you know as we get closer to super bowl sunday to fully break down and preview the matchup between the kansas city chiefs and the tampa bay tampa bay buccaneers on Super Bowl Sunday, we'll of course also be having on Pick Up Blitz our Dolphins episodes continuing. So we actually just uploaded yesterday's live episode of Dot Volume Two, Dolphins Offseason Talk Volume Two. We went into pending Dolphins free agents, had a little bit more of a coaching carousel discussion, and talked some more Miami Dolphins. So those will be continuing this week. Next week we'll be previewing uh, more of the NFL draft and the Dolphins free agency, the Dolphins coaching the Senior Bowl this week. I'm sure we'll have some headlines coming out. So we'll be back with that as well. But uh, until then, thank you very much to everyone who jumped on live on Locker Room. Ethan, of course, for coming up and contributing. But, you know, we saw you guys saw Andrew, Daniel, Howard, Travis. Thank you guys so much for jumping on live on Locker Room. This episode will be up in 24 hours, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And like I said, we'll be back uh, later this week for more Pick Up the Blitz. But until next time, thank you guys very much for listening. We'll see you then. Thanks, guys.